Let us pray. Lord, how can man preach thy eternal word? He is a brittle, crazy glass, yet in the temple thou dost afford this glorious and transcendent place to be a window through thy grace. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm mindful this morning of the absolute audacity of presenting a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Will lightning strike? That's why this poem prayer that I began with, the poem uh, by the poet priest George Herbert speaks to me. How can man preach thy eternal word? He is a brittle, crazy glass. The fact is preaching under any and every circumstances bears some audacity. Maybe it's presumptuous, especially for those of us who on some days feels like, feel like brittle, crazy glass. This morning, a sermon based on a sermon by Jesus just cranks it up a notch. Now, I'm a little worried I'm going to sound like the British cleric who started his sermon this way. As our Lord has said, and I think quite rightly, I recall the prayer with which Hayes Rockwell, who was a former rector, often began his sermons. He would pray, the words I speak, O Lord, are mine. May the words we hear be thine. Dr. Rockwell, like George Herbert, was a poet priest, and he understood that a preacher is at best a window of grace. That is the goal. By grace, may that be the result. For the next three Sundays, folks, preachers have passages to parse from the Sermon on the Mount found in chapters 5 to 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. If you're looking for a spiritual exercise, I invite you to read the whole thing in one sitting. Along with a few other readings before us this morning, it is what the church has decided that we should hear in the season of Epiphany, a season meant to make the things of the Spirit more clear, more precisely, to make something about Jesus more clear. So before we get to the Sermon on the Mount, let's trace the scriptural thread in the readings chosen for this morning and hear what the Spirit says to the church. We've got a word from the prophet Micah writing about 700 years before Jesus, a critique of his faith community. They were clearly missing the boat as far as Micah was concerned, and they needed to be called back to basics. A call which is issued in this laser-like question, what does the Lord require? Though the question is old, Micah's answer strikes a chord today. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. It's not all that far from the answer Jesus gave when someone asked a related question, what am I supposed to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said it's simple, but not easy. It's one thing, but it's really two. Love God and love neighbor. Micah, the consummate prophet, speaks to us this morning with that countercultural posture of humility and service to God and to neighbor. That is what is required of us. The second reading comes from the letter to the Corinthians. It's a message to a quite lively church fighting about all kinds of stuff. That reading only adds to the challenge facing a preacher as Paul admits, get this, the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. Um, I need to talk with our vagabond vicar 
Am I really on the preaching rota to preach foolishness? Amid the contention in that community, Paul calls them back to basics, reminding the members of that church of the countercultural message of Jesus. He says, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, what is weak to shame the strong, what is low and despised to reduce to nothing those things in the world that are so that no one can boast in the presence of God. Again, a countercultural point of view and an excellent segue to the vision that Jesus offers in the opening lines, really the overture to the Sermon on the Mount, known as the Beatitudes. Again and again, eight times, Jesus speaks of blessedness, giving a vision of a way of life that runs counter to what one might expect or aspire to, a vision of what the Jesus movement looks like in a world operating on quite different values. So let me this morning offer some brief thoughts on each of these statements in hopes of triggering your further reflection on what Jesus is talking about. These beatitudes, the whole sermon is a deep, deep pool. We'll just dip our toes in the shallow end this morning. You can go on a deep dive on your own. We begin with this word, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know what you think poor in spirit means. I've kicked that around for a long time. I'm not exactly sure what it means, except that I ran across a paraphrase of this verse that said, blessed are those who know their need of God. I may not know what poor in spirit is. I know what it means to know your need of God. That recognition of need for help is key to what Jesus describes as blessedness. And I believe, experienced, that it is the gateway to the spiritual journey. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are not only in touch with their own pain, but feel the pain of the world. A pastor I know regularly tells his congregation that suffering is the promise that life always keeps. Recognizing that truth, as grim as it may sound, that truth about ourselves and those around us opens us to God's activity, God's healing work in our world. It guides us into paths of compassion, which really means, compassion really means suffering alongside, an ideal at the heart of all great faith traditions, fulfilled in our tradition as Jesus stretches out his arms on the hardwood of the cross to draw us into a saving embrace. And we have ample, ample opportunity to share that spirit of mourning this weekend as we reel from videos out of Memphis, as we ache for families losing loved ones in California mass shootings as bombs hit homes in Ukraine. We mourn for those who suffer loss. We mourn for our broken world. And our mourning, more than thoughts and prayers, calls us to action of another sort. It calls us to the way of love. It calls us to Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What do you think of that? In what worldly context would meekness be encouraged? Is this a call to be a doormat for Christ? I once heard a preacher say that the word meek really means power under control. Moses in the Old Testament was described as a meek man. 
with all his self-doubts, with all his missteps, and they were considerable. He took on the empire of his day and won. What kind of blessing can we discover by refusing to take advantage of our power and privilege, using our resources for the sake of others? Meekness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. In other words, blessed are those who are in touch with what Augustine called the God-shaped space inside each one of us. Our hearts are restless until that space is filled, who seek to fill that space with that which leads to a right relationship with God, which is what righteousness is all about. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who know how to give somebody else a break, who know how to forgive, who are able to listen to another point of view. When that happens between human beings, it's usually because the one showing mercy has at some point been given a break. We celebrate our own forgiveness by extending it to others. We have all done things for which we need forgiveness. We all have folks we need to forgive. Blessedness comes when we can do that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. <laughs> pure in heart, a mentor of mine once told me, he said, I've never met a motive that wasn't mixed. <laughs> to be pure in heart is to will one thing to be solely dedicated to the love of God and neighbor, the aspiration of our faith. Talk about a countercultural way, the way of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who do that hard work of making peace. It doesn't say blessed are those who are at peace, but blessed are those who make peace. It is work. It is intentionally done in our homes, in our church, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our nation, in our global village. And where, where are you called to do that work this week? Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In other words, it's a sign that you're on the right track on this counterculture path, if you face resistance, especially resistance to the kind of change that Jesus, that the Jesus movement brings. I once heard a sermon where the preacher asked, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? On this point of blessed persecution, consider this history. Leo, Tol Leo Tolstoy, at the height of his career, after publishing Anna Karenina, read the Sermon on the Mount and took it to heart. And his life was turned around. He committed to a life of poverty and to a philosophy of nonviolence. It drove his family nuts. Folks thought he had lost his mind. He died alone in the snow. But Mahatma Gandhi, some years later, got a hold of what Tolstoy was talking about, and he used it to animate his nonviolent movement that resulted in freedom for the Indian subcontinent. Now, Gandhi was later assassinated, but Martin Luther King paid attention to Gandhi's appropriation 
of the Sermon on the Mount and applied that wisdom to his movement to alter the course of race relations in our nation without violence, in a spirit of love, in the spirit of Jesus. Each of these men acted counter to their culture. Each experienced persecution in the extreme. Each walked in the way of Jesus, whose journey to the cross shows the way of love. And maybe that's why we preach the Sermon on the Mount, even with fear and trembling. Because our broken, insane, fractured, bullet-ridden world needs to try something different. Lord knows we need another way. I believe we need Jesus, his sermon as an expression of his person, has the power to change the world and to change us. We, we proclaim not our own wisdom, but Jesus's wisdom, his person, his presence, his power, his love. So how can a man preach God's eternal word, crazy, brittle glass that I am, that we are? only by pointing to God's grace revealed in Jesus, by serving as a window of the grace that shows us the way of Jesus, and by grace, by grace, may we get a glimmer of an epiphany of that way of Jesus. Amen.